thank you for another morning. We thank you for Sundays, for sunshine, summer break. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather to worship. And Father, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we come now hungry, thirsty, dependent, needy to the Word. We say, Father, speak truth to us, speak life to us, and then give us grace to believe it. Father, it is our desire that we would be your people. Help us, Father, by faith to embrace the truth of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn back to the book of Exodus. We are in chapter 13 now. If you haven't been here in quite some time, we are walking passage by passage through the book of Exodus. And we have come to chapter 13, and it's going well. Last week was Father's Day, and so we did not uh, follow in line with Exodus 13. We jumped over to Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are. And I preached on how to honor your father. That is one of God's Ten Commandments. To honor your father, honor your mother. That's the Fifth Commandment, and that's what last week was. So we were in the book of Exodus uh, but just not following in where we're at. But today we will pick back up with that uh, at Exodus chapter 13. Just last week was Exodus, or two weeks ago, the last time we were here, was Exodus chapter 12, where you have the, the Passover and the tenth plague and the Exodus and the institution of the Passover. And so now God has rescued His people and sent them out. If you If you know anything about the book of Exodus, you know that the first ten chapters or so are are the... A picture of how horrible things are for God's people. God's people, the people of Israel, are slaves in Egypt, and it's awful, and it's been going on for a long time. So they're in slavery, and the Egyptian leaders, Pharaoh, are not being good to them. So God's people are in a miserable state, and they want to be set free. And so God calls out Moses to be the leader who will lead them to be set free. The problem is, is that the Egyptian leadership, Pharaoh, is good and strong and successful. And it's not going to go over well. Well, you and I know that nobody can really go against God. But Pharaoh sure tries. And we can identify with that a little bit. You know, I talked about that several weeks ago. That oftentimes we see Pharaoh as just this big bad guy. Man, what a cruel leader he is. But I, I pointed out that in so many ways, you and I identify with Pharaoh more than we do with, with Moses in that we are hard-headed and hard-hearted at times. And God is telling us what we are to do or what we are to be like, and we just don't want to do it. Particularly when it comes to how we deal with ignorant people, right? But finally, as you and I know, you can't really go against God. And so God used ten plagues to display His glory. So that there would be nobody that did not understand that God is God and you don't go against Him. None of the people of Israel should have doubted that. None of the people of Egypt, even Pharaoh, should have doubted that they are stronger than God. All, you know, the, 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 the bigger they are, the harder they fall. The more prideful you are, the bigger the downfall. Pride comes before the fall. And when God finally showed Pharaoh... You're just like an ant to me. You're nothing to me. He fell hard. And God came strong. And God warned that He was going to come through and kill the firstborn children and the firstborn of the livestock. 
That's what God said He was going to do. And if you didn't want your firstborn to die, then you could listen to God, sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and God would pass over. There was grace there. So that's how chapter 12 ends. With God doing that. And yet God saving His people, showing Pharaoh, Pharaoh lets them go, and now the exodus has begun. I said this before, if you didn't know why it was called the exodus, that's why. An exodus is a mass leaving. When the people of Israel set free from Egypt, God sets them free, and they get to leave Egypt and now move toward the promised land, that's the exodus. And we just saw that. So today we will start at chapter 13. Before we start reading, though, um, it, it's, it's always nice to take time to look back and reminisce. I hope you get to do this at times. I hope when you sit around with your family, you're able to uh, recall some of the times from years ago. You're able to remember some of the good times and, and some of the bad times. Just this past week, I was hanging out with a bunch of a bunch of teenagers, and many of them had just graduated high school, and they're about to head off to college, and so... I was remembering those days and how great that feeling is you're done with high school and also how terrifying that feeling is that you're in the real world and you need to grow up and you need to get going. It's healthy to do that. It's healthy to reminisce. I had a conversation with Jacob Darnell earlier who is starting high school and he's playing football and he's got a bright future and we were talking about that and in my mind I was remembering when I first got into varsity sports and what that was like. Jacob has already been asked to be playing varsity sports and what a neat moment that is. I remember when I first got into varsity sports and then I remember just a few years ago when when this church called me to be a pastor. And so for the first time in my life I had a a job, a, a real job that I that I liked and that could support my family and a people that would listen to me. Thank y'all. And um, But I had a real job, and I remember, I remember at that time calling up my, my high school basketball coach. I had not seen him in a long time, a long time, but I remember calling him up. I didn't even have his phone number, but I looked it up, and I got it from a friend, and I called him. I just wanted to say, there's a lot of things in life now that, that help me be a man and a leader based off what you taught me in varsity basketball. And I remember thinking back to hating practice, hating discipline, hating him getting in my face and chewing me out for all the turnovers I made as a point guard. I remember that. And it's neat now to look back and say, God used those things to shape me. God used those things to bring me to this point. I sat down with a girl two nights ago who has a hard life. Let me just say that. Her life's been bad. She is in Louisville right now because she doesn't have really anywhere else to live and she's living with like some distant family in Louisville. She was on that youth camp and she doesn't even go to church there. They just heard about a church that was taking youth camp and they sent this girl on this trip. We sat down and talked one night. She'd been talking to her leader and she said, yeah, but I, why... Why would God let so many bad things keep happening to me? Why is my life so characterized by bad things? I said, why you get it and other people don't, we don't know that. There's not a real answer to that. Folks, don't try to give people false answers. Sometimes we just, can't, we just have to say, I don't know. 
I said, I'll tell you this. God used all of that to bring you here right now. Why are you sitting down talking to me? Why are you even on this boat? Why are you here this week? Why are you here at this camp? I said, I don't know, but it sure looks to me like God's doing something in your life. And He's brought you to this point. Folks, if you're going to be somebody who's a believer in Jesus, you have to understand that right now, looking at today's picture, doesn't always make sense. We don't understand why He has us going through this right now, but we can trust that if God's the one doing it, then we can trust Him. He is a good God. And we trust Him in whatever He's doing with our lives. In Exodus chapter 13 today, we see that they had just been in miserable slavery for years. God has set them free, and here they go. And God puts in place this sort of remembering of who they are, where they've come from, why it's happening, who God is. Today I want to give you three points. Number one... Remember where you came from. Number one, remember where you came from. Number two, tell them why you do it. Number two, tell them why you do it. And then number three, our Savior is a shepherd. Number three, our Savior is a shepherd. Read read with me at Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. You notice here, right here at the very beginning, that God has really shifted things. God had had just recently, in the the last chapter, showing that He was going to do what He wanted to do with the firstborn of people, with the firstborn of people were not going to listen to Him and believe Him. But now that He has set them free and they are going, He has totally reversed that. And now He is asking them, no, give the firstborn to me. Show me that you are trusting me. Dedicate to me your firstborn is what God is asking them to do. You know, this is how offering goes. And I don't like to preach on money a lot. I don't want y'all getting mad at me. But this is how offering goes too. You know, God doesn't need our money. But what it is, and He calls it a first fruit, it's that we give our money on the, as the very first thing we do. It is not at all the last thing we do. It's not, I've paid all my bills, what do I have left, let's see if I have anything to give. That's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to say, okay, here's what I make, therefore, here's what I'm going to give because God is my priority, and I will live off of everything else. What it is, it's a demonstration that God, you have my full attention. It's a demonstration that God, I fall back on you. But you are what I look to first and foremost, first and last. You are what my focus is. And this is what he's doing here. God tells Moses to tell the people to consecrate to me all the firstborn. Set them apart. Dedicate them to me. Show me that your focus with all of your children, with all of your livestock, is that I am your God. I am the one who has rescued you. Verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, remember. There's the word, remember. That's why my first point is remember where you came from. He says, remember this day in which you came out, out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Now let me stop there. Nobody who was a child of God, the people of Israel, none of them were mistaken about how they got rescued. If you're a Christian today, I want to remind you of that. Don't ever allow yourself to get mistaken about how you became a church person. Don't ever allow yourself to forget what saved you, 
What got you into God? What made you a Christian? What got you connected to the Bible? Don't ever forget that. If you're thinking that it's something that you did or that you've just always been a part of church or mom and dad raised you that way or something like that, then you perhaps aren't even really saved. For it is, as we sang, the blood of Christ that is our victory. It is the blood of Christ shed on the cross that has washed away our sins. Nobody with a filthy, sinful life will be right with God unless that filthy, sinful life, which all of us have, has been washed away by the sacrifice of Christ. And what it means to be a Christian is that we are a people who are continually trusting in that, looking to that, believing that. And so there needs to be a remembering of where we came from. And now that the people are no longer in slavery, the exodus is happening, they are, they are going out. God says, remember that I did this. Remember that it was a strong hand that the Lord brought you out from this place. Remember how awful slavery was. Remember all the complaining that you did. Remember how much you were begging to Moses to set us free. Remember how awful Pharaoh was. Remember when it was awful and then he ratcheted it up and made it more awful. Remember where you did, where all you did was make bricks all day long for Pharaoh and how much you hated that. And then remember when Pharaoh said, y'all are growing too much. The people of Israel is now over a million people here. You're going to continue making bricks, but I'm not even going to supply the straw anymore. The workload is going to get harder. And remember how awful that was? Remember that it was the strong hand of God that came into your circumstances and your situation and set you free. Remember that. And you hear me say it a lot. I remember plain as day being a teenager and God coming into my life and turning it all upside down for the glory of Jesus. I remember when God saved me. And he says, remember where you came from. Well, then he puts in place the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 4, today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which, this, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, if you've never heard that before, remember, that's the promise. God was going to take them out of slavery in Egypt and lead them to a promised land that would be awesome and plentiful and beautiful and glorious. He called it a land flowing with milk and honey. It is plentiful, bountiful. It is a great place for them to go, and that's where he's taking them. That's been the promise all along, and that's what it's still going to be. He is taking them there. They just need to trust him. You shall keep this service in this month. Verse 6. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. No leaven shall be seen with you in your territory. Verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Do you see this? This is a remembering. When you're teaching your son the things that you do in your religion, in your faith, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when the people of Israel are doing what God has told them to do in order to remember and explaining to your children, remembering where we came from is so important. Listen, when you pass anything on to the next generation, if a why does not come with it, then it is not going to work. That's point number two, though, so let me slow down. Verse 9. And it shall be to you, remember where you came from, as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. As they are leaving, 
rescued and set free by God, God puts in place in their lives a yearly tradition, a yearly feast that is all about remembering the strong hand of God that set them free. One of the coolest things about being a boy and, and having a dad, and you hear, you hear it all the time, is that your dad is always so strong. We were at that camp last week, and one of the nights we, we had a big wrestling match. I got all the middle school boys together, and, and we were wrestling on mattress, put all the bed mattresses on the floor, and, and I had them all out there wrestling or whatever. And then uh, we asked one of the youth leaders to wrestle. And so next thing you know, we got this like 14-year-old boy wrestling a, a 30-year-old man who's one of the leaders, and everybody keeps going, yeah, but he's got that old man strength. You're never going to beat him. He's got the old man strength. It doesn't matter who's bigger or not. And, you know, old man strength versus a boy, the old man strength's always going to win. And this is the way guys look. We just, we just tend to think that our dads are the strongest, whether they are or not. That's the way we think. And yet God is reminding His people of the great strength and sovereign power that God brings to His people. Listen, I realize the Bible does not tell us life's going to get easier. Some of us right now are going through it. We have many families in our church right now that, that are hardly at church because of, of, of death in the family, of somebody in the hospital in the family. This is happening. This is reality. And God has not promised us that it gets better when we start following Him. But He has promised us that His strong hand is enough to take care of us. And it absolutely will. He won't let us fall. And so God puts in place a yearly tradition, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that they would do every year that remembered, wow, we were in slavery. Wow, God set us free. Do you remember how strong Pharaoh was? Do you remember how cruel Pharaoh was? Do you remember how pompous and arrogant he was, thinking that nobody could go against him? And on earth, that was the case. He was the biggest, best ruler on the earth. Nobody went against him. But you cannot elevate your Humanity above God's sovereignty. He's God. And God showed him that. And so God is now putting him in place this idea to remember where you came from. This humility that never rises above where you are is beautiful. This is what we love last year when LeBron James wins the championship for the Miami Heat. And in his interview, he says, they say, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about all the people that say bad things about you? And LeBron said, I'm just a... Young boy from Ohio, single mom, no dad. I'm not supposed to be here. I don't got any worries about these people. It's awesome, whether you like LeBron or not, and you're here or there, it's awesome when somebody remembers where they came from. It's awesome when you're able to recall what childhood was like. It's awesome when you're able to remember how much mom and dad struggled. I remember being 14, a freshman in high school. I used to ride my bike everywhere. I was a bike rider. I would ride in my neighborhood. I'd cut through the trails and get to the next neighborhood. And my mom was a walker. Mom walked about three or four or five miles a day. and She walked with other ladies. And I remember she was out of our neighborhood, uh, Fairfield, and she was in another neighborhood called Hunley Creek. And we were right there in front of my buddy Sean Rafferty's house. And, and we were walking, and my mom was upset as she was walking. And I was asking why. And, and something had happened, I don't recall it, but Dad had lost his job. 
I don't know if he quit or got laid off or the company closed or what. He was working, I think, for, for Stone Container. And my mom was upset. Obviously, if dad's income goes away, we're in a heap of trouble. What would that mean for us? And I remember thinking, oh no. I remember mom being upset, thinking, this is bad. And you know what I remember right now? That I don't even know what happened. Somehow it all worked out. God took care of us. Dad got another job. Life worked itself out. But even still now at 34 years old, I'm reminded in life that there are times when things are going well and times when they're not. There are times when it looks like, hey, Dad works, so that's good, we got money. And then there's times where that could fall out just like that. And life is about remembering where you came from. And God has set His people free. And God is not going to let them just say, thanks God, appreciate it. Woohoo! Promised land, here we go. Land flowing with milk and honey. I hate the Exodus. I hate Egypt. I'm never going to remember that. No. If you're not able to remember where you came from, what happened to get you there, then you're not going to remember the one who did it through you. And you'll fall back into, I made myself. How many stories have you heard from somebody who started small and lowly? They hit fame, Hollywood, and their life crumbles. How many stories of those have you heard? How many more pop stars do we have to see as children, cute and innocent, singing for the Mickey Mouse Club, and the next thing you know, their lives are totally in shambles and they're the worst role model we've ever seen once they get to the big time. It happens all the time. We can name several of those. If we forget where we came from, what brought us out of it, what raised us up, then we're wrong. We need to remember where we came from. And this is not just an Old Testament book of Exodus thing too. I want to remind you of a few things that Paul speaks to the church. See, one of the problems with churches here and there and everywhere is that we forget that we used to be lost, wandering people too. And therefore, we cannot relate, love, surrender, get lowly, sacrifice toward the lost people that are out there now. That's a big problem. When if there's people that lie in the community, we need to remember that we used to lie. Or maybe we still lie now. We're dependent upon God's grace. Do you remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthians? It's the first Corinthians 6 passage that Duck Dynasty got in, in trouble over. But in 1 Corinthians 6, he, he goes through all of these sins and he lists off these sins and he says, and these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. A big, bold statement. If you are wrapped up in these sins, not dependent upon the grace of God for the forgiveness of these sins, explaining away these sins, saying that these sins are okay with God, you are wrong and you will not go to the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. But do you know what he says right after that? And such were some of us. And so no church anywhere should look down upon people who have not found Christ yet. And yet if we were going to be like Christ, then we would actually get below them and so serve them and wash their feet and love on them and build them up that they are lifted up closer to Christ by the way the church is to them. Paul would not let the Corinthian church think that they were better than the worldly messed up people. Do not think that way, Paul says. That's what you used to be like, and were it not for what God brought you out of, you wouldn't be in this position. You've got to remember where you came from. Or in the book of Titus, he leaves Titus on the island of Crete to set up a church. 
And he's telling them, here's what the church should be like, and here's what you've got to do, and here's what you've got to teach, and here's what you've got to emphasize. And in chapter 3 of Titus, he's explaining so much what it, how we got saved. And right when he says how we used to be, he says, for we were all once foolish. Titus chapter 3. We were all once foolish. Don't look down on somebody that's foolish now. They're just the grace of God away from being used to be. We've got to remember where we came from. And so as the people of Israel are heading out, God puts in place the Feast of Unleavened Bread to be a yearly thing that they do with their family, with their people, the people of Israel, to say, God, strong hand, rescued us. We are in the position we are now. We are on our way to where we're going now because of God. And oh, it would be strong if if our families and our churches so lived and knew and remembered where we come from. Number two, you've got to tell them why you do it. It's not just a remembering where you came from, but it's a telling them now why we do what we do. Look at verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers... And shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Look at verse 14. And when in time to come... Your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out. I've got three sons. When the Bible says, in the time to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? It speaks to my heart so much. Men, fathers, Stepfathers, uncles, cousins, grandfathers. Do you do anything in life that caused the children around you to ask, why do you do that? Is there any devotion at all in your life to God in which they say, why do you do that? Let's not say that the kids aren't asking questions because if there's any things that kids do, they ask questions. Why, 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 why? They will ask a thousand times why. And finally you just say, get out of here. They ask so many questions. If the kids aren't asking you why, it's not because they're not inquisitive. It's not because they're not curious. It's because they're not seeing devotion. They're not seeing God doing anything. Maybe nobody can remember where they came from because, listen, you haven't come from anything with God. Maybe the kids aren't asking because... There's no allegiance or devotion in our lives. This is fascinating that it would say this. Why in the world, in God writing a holy book to give to His people to communicate the truth to us, would God put in here, not even one time, but two times. I, I read it in verse 8 too. You shall tell your son on that day it is because of what the Lord did. Verse 14. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You should tell him. By a strong hand the Lord brought us. In other words, God is saying, listen, that if a man lives his life devoted to God, the sons are going to ask why. 
That is simple math. That is 101. Folks, it is not God's design that in our parenting and our fatherhood that our kids would grow up and hate the things that we say we like. That is not God's design. It is God's design that a man who is chasing after the heart of God will raise his kids to chase after the heart of God. Or else God would not tell us things like this. Dad, why are you up every morning before we are spending time on your knees? Why do you do that? Dad, how do you wake up always before us? Dad, why do you love church so much? Dad, why do you give so much money to these people that are in need? Dad, why do you always have people over? Dad, why do you work so hard? Dad, why do you love mom so much? Dad, why are you so good to me? Dad, why do you read your Bible so much? Dad, why do you hang out with people like that? Kids ask questions. And the answer to those questions is, Son, if you knew what the Lord had done in my life. Son, let me tell you where I used to be. Son, Daddy didn't always be this way. Son, Jesus changed my life. Tell them why we do it. A couple of years ago, when we had our third and third kid and, and our fourth kid, it got to where me leaving on a Sunday morning just didn't sit well with me as I hurried here to church and left Val at home to get everybody ready into Sunday school. So I asked if I could start bringing the kids with me. And, you know, we meet here in the mornings at 9 o'clock right here to pray. Uh, and so I started bringing the kids. First, it was just J.J., and then it was J.J. and Eli. And, and just recently, we're trying to get J.J., Eli, and Noah. And so they come in here, and for 30 minutes, a group of people meet to pray. And I don't know if you've ever tried to pray with a group of adults while you've got three little kids with you, but that is hard to do. But I didn't like the idea of just sending them to nursery. I didn't like the idea of them just running around climbing on pews while we prayed. And so I, I said, well, I've got I've to try to teach them what's going on here. And so we're, I'm trying to teach them, and it's still very hard, but I'm trying to teach them to, to sit still. But then I realized in my head that if they're just there and quiet, but not knowing what's going on while we're praying, then, then, then that's not the goal either. And so now driving to church, which is not a long drive, we talk about why we're doing this. Why do we go to church? Why do we pray? And I'm teaching them to know the really good answers. Like, why do we go to church? We go to church because that's where we worship with other people. We're always worshipers. Last night, we worshiped together. We, we are always worshipers of Jesus. He is our God and Savior. But it's Sunday morning. This is the only place where you worship with other people. And the Bible is all about Christians worshiping with other people. You're not a real Christian if you don't desire to worship with other people. Or if you are, something's really wrong, according to the Scriptures. And that needs to be corrected. So it is, a, it is a desire to meet with other people. And so what, what the Bible is teaching us is that there, there needs to be an explanation of why we do what we do. Look back at verse 14. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him. So in other words, okay, in this system set up where God is asking them to sacrifice to them one of their animals, sacrifice to them a lamb, a lamb that will be a redeeming lamb. In time, your son is going to ask. 
If you don't believe me, go kill an animal and skin it and let your kid watch and see if they ask questions. I don't mean like your dog or your cat or something. Like a deer or something that people actually kill and skin. They'll ask a hundred questions. You know that they would. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you cutting that off? Why are you doing that? And God had put in place a system of sacrifice and redeeming. Sacrificing a lamb and redeeming, does that remind you of anything else? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And when He says gave, you know what He meant. Killed Him. Killed Jesus. And we sing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. A kid's not going to naturally understand a lamb killed and bloody that has ultimate worth. They're not going to understand that. And if they see your heart singing it, they're going to ask why. Why is that your favorite song? What's the lamb? What was slain? Why is it worthy? When in time, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought me. The Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. But then it keeps going with the answer. Verse 15. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. How many times have we seen already in 13 that it was a strong hand of the Lord that brought us out? Folks, if you're going to have a testimony, your testimony is that God did this. If you're going to be a real believer and follower of Jesus, your testimony is that God did something. And this is what, praise God, God is teaching them to say. You're on your way to the promised land that I'm giving you. Do not forget that it's the Lord that's doing this. It's the Lord that's doing this. It's the Lord that's doing it. It is God's strong hand that is doing this. You need to remember where you came from, but you also need to tell them why you do it. When we take the Lord's Supper, let's be honest. Lord's Supper is, is a very traditional type thing, but we can never call it traditional because it's from the Scriptures. Forever and forever, ever, as long as there are church, there will be the Lord's Supper. It is never going to be an old-timey thing. Church, hear that. And even if buildings change and music changes and the way we dress changes, the Lord's Supper is never going to change. It came from the Word of God, instituted by the Lord Jesus, and represents something. There will always be a Lord's Supper. You show me a church that doesn't take the Lord's Supper, I'll show you a church that's not a church. You show me a believer, be very careful here, who's not concerned about taking the Lord's Supper, and we've got great concerns. Because the Lord's Supper is what Jesus said He wants us to do on a regular basis to remember His body as God in the flesh and to remember His blood that God in the flesh died for our sins. And we eat that bread and we drink that drink saying, God, You died for me. And I believe it right now. That's what the Lord's Supper is. Well, you better believe that when it passes right now, my little five-year-old Eli doesn't know that. And if we're not careful, guess what's going to happen? One day, he's just going to start taking it. 
And you've got somebody who doesn't understand Christ crucified, taking the Lord's Supper. You've got a religious mess up. You've got somebody that's not going to represent Jesus well in the world. They've got to know why we do this. That's why at our church, we are absolutely fine with you bringing your kids in church. I don't care if they cry, if they get up, if they whine or whatever. That's a little bit harder to preach through, but we're okay with that. In our bulletin right here, if you look, it says, We encourage children being in the worship service. They are welcome here. You're not going to hear us say, hey, they're not welcome here. We, we want them here. Why? Because we want them seeing adults, men and women, that worship and love God. And we want them to say, why are you doing that? Tell them why we do it. It's what God says. Lord's Supper, baptism. Do you remember in Peter... First Peter 3 or Second Peter 3 when he says, Always be ready to give a defense or an answer for the hope that is in you. Always be ready. In other words, people are going to ask, Why are you so hopeful? Why is your life so hopeful? And people will inquire. People will comment. People will recognize. And Peter says, always be ready to give an answer to that question. Somehow our world has turned parenting into the hardest mode of discipleship in the world through the church. And that's ridiculous. That should not be the case. It should be the easiest. Number one, remember where you came from. And number two, tell them... Why we do it. And then number three, lastly, and I love this point, our Savior is a shepherd. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God knows (coughs) that this discouraged This weak people would not have handled it well if they went through the the warriors of the Philistines. That would not have gone well. They would have chickened out. It would not have been good. So God says, I'm not going to lead them that way. Verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Notice that. That the people of Israel were strong and ready for battle, but God took them that way because they wouldn't have been ready for battle had they gone and fought the big big strong guys. I'm going to tell you what all this means in just a second. Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones with you from here. If you remember, at the very end of the book of Genesis, right before Joseph dies, Genesis chapter 50, Joseph made them promise that they would, once he died, they would not let his bones stay there in Egypt. He did not want to be in Egypt. He did not want to be left there. He did not want to be separated from God. He did not want to be left where they used to be in oppression. He said, when I die, you take my bones and you take them with you. When God sets you free, notice the hope. Remember, Joseph was their good leader. Notice the hope. Joseph says, I'm about to die. But God's going to keep His promise and set us free. And when God sets us free, according to what His promise is, y'all don't leave my bones here while y'all go to the promised land. Y'all carry my bones with you to where you're going. And that's what it's talking about here. Verse 20, And they moved on from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord, listen here, And the Lord went before them. 
by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. What does this mean? This means, number three, that our Savior is a shepherd. Folks, this is why Christianity is so fulfilling. It is not some religion with a far-off God that we're hoping will save us. It's not some religion with some example leader that we're just trying to follow and do our best to follow. It is the best of both worlds. It is a God who made us, who reigns in the heavens, who is stronger, can do anything. The wind and the waves obey Him. He speaks stars and creation into being. He is an all-powerful God who made us, yet loves us, became like us, who died on the cross to save us from our sins. But not only is our God, not only is our Savior, but also is our Shepherd. In that sense, He leads us. There's not a religion in the world that even comes close to this. Now, obviously, we believe this is the only one true religion, but there's not even one that comes close to this. We have absolutely the best of both worlds. Our God is the one that leads us. Our God is the one. Now, you could have read this story, and it still would have been a great story, if God had come down from wherever He was and showed Pharaoh up and put Pharaoh out and let the people go and said, Hey, love you guys. Finish strong. Do well. Give it your all. Represent. That would have been a cool story in and of itself. But that's not how God is. God comes, sets them free, is with them. He's been telling them all along to trust them. And then here it goes. Now they're going to the promised land. But all throughout this last little section is He led them, He led them. He didn't lead them this way. No, they'd have gotten scared. So now He's going to lead them this way. Now they're strong for battle. He's leading them this way. He's leading them this way. He's leading them this way. He's going to lead them all the way there. And Joseph knew that. So hey, when He's leading y'all there, take my bones with you. This is what our God is like. Our God who is our Savior is our God who is our Shepherd. Fantastic. What comforts you in this life? That God is real. That God is good. And that God is trustworthy. And as long as my life is surrendered to Him, hoping in Him, holding on to Him, I'll be good. He does not let us down. Our Savior is our shepherd. Now, he's leading them. Now, how is he leading them? I want to make sure you saw this. In a cloud. A cloud. Does everybody see that? We're early in the Bible. We don't have God on earth yet like Jesus. We don't have the Holy Spirit yet living. God is here as a cloud. During the daytime... Before the people of Israel, and again, this is millions, before the people of Israel is this giant cloud. And they're just following the cloud. Nighttime, you can't see the cloud. So now it's a pillar of fire. They're just following the fire. That's God. They're just following Him. Now, we're going to come to it here in the next chapter, but Pharaoh is going to change his mind. And when Pharaoh changes his mind, he starts to attack the people of Israel from the back. You know what God does? God goes from the front to the back of the people, Puts the cloud there. They All they see is the cloud. They can't see the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are going to pass through and be safe. God protects them. How? Not, not so much as a Savior here, but as a shepherd. Because God is both of those. Y'all, there are times that we say, God saved me. 
And there are times when we say, God leads me. There are times when we say, God rescued me. There are times when we say, God kept me. There are times when we say, man, God redeemed me. And there are times when we say, no, God's preserving me. God is that to us. All of that. Yes, He did something in Christ a long time ago that we're trusting in. But yes, He's doing something in me now. He's both. God is our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we trust that. I want to ask you, is God both Savior and Shepherd to you? Because I think we can quickly identify with Him as a Savior. You say you believe in Him. But is He Shepherd? Is He leading you? Does it make sense in Psalm 23 when, when David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. But listen to this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and whatever that means, it means bad situations. Walking through a valley of the shadow of death. Bad. And even though you're walking through that, I will fear no evil. I won't be afraid in the valley of the shadow of death. Well, why? Listen to what he says. Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's talking about a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. If you're walking through a valley of the shadow of death, you should be scared. But he's not scared. Why? Because he has comfort. In what? That the shepherd has a rod here and a staff here. He can beat away anything. He can pull the sheep. This shepherd takes care of the sheep. I want to ask you here today, if your faith is in God your Savior and in God your shepherd. Now, he's not here. You're not going to see a cloud today and you're not going to see a fire tonight. I promise you that. But there's something better. The Bible says that God is now here in the Holy Spirit. And if anybody would believe in Jesus and repent of their sins, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. He didn't start doing this until Acts chapter 2, but He does it now. We believe that God our Savior leads His people now as the Holy Spirit inside of them. There is a difference between a believer and a non-believer. And that difference is the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Do you have a shepherd that you follow? Because His Spirit is working in you? Is your God your Savior and your shepherd? Do you believe in Him and follow Him? Has He saved you you and now leading you? In the book of Exodus chapter 13, we see God reminding them to remember where they came from. God did this. Urging them to tell them why we do what we do. And then we see God glorious as Savior and Shepherd. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, thank You in the book of Exodus for yet another picture of You being so good to us. God, You did it. You did it. You did it. You did it. You you did this setting free, rescuing the people of Israel. And now, as they are moving toward the promised land, God, You are making it clear what that is to be like. Father, I pray that You would make it clear to us where we've come from. And I pray, God, that You would make it clear to us 
of the responsibility that come, comes along with it. And that we would be trusting in you. Father, as we sing now, help us to respond. Lead us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.